This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. My name is Catherine Orr, and I'm the pastoral associate at Lumen Christi Parish, uh, which is in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. My husband, Matt, and I have been married for nine and a half years, and together we've got three kids, James, who's seven and in second grade, Madeline, who's five and in kindergarten, and then Daniel, who's nine months old and he's in daycare. And tell me what a typical day in the Orr family looks like with all of the (laughs) craziness with all the craziness um be careful what you wish for so um my husband matt uh he is a superintendent for a large construction company so he wakes up around four o'clock in the morning and then is like fully out the door by five around that time that's like when my alarm's going off to try and get up and get ready before the kids have to get up by six and then to get three kids you know, up, dressed, fed, (laughs) ready to get out the door. Um, We need to be leaving by seven. And then we drop the baby off at daycare. And then I drop the kids off at school. And thankfully, the kids go to the parish school um, right next door to where I work. So I drop them off and then I'm at my desk within five minutes. I usually leave here then around three o'clock to get in the car pickup line to pick up the two older kids from school and then just kind of reverse it to pick up the baby from daycare. And then it's just the after-school routine of starting homework, getting dinner going. Um, Usually around that time, my husband gets home from work, which is great. Um, He'll get cleaned up. And then depending on if I have an evening meeting back at the parish, we kind of tag team. And then I head out um, to do the evening meeting. And from there, it's if I can get back back home in time for bedtime, I'll, you know, step in then. If not, um, at that point, it's just making sure that lunches and everything's made to start all over for the next day. And if I've got some energy left, I'll take an hour to try and do some of my own homework because of the master's program I'm in. Now, you live in like a rural part of the country in rural Wisconsin. How does that impact like your day-to-day and how much travel you need to do? So um, we live in a a really small rural town um, with about 500 people in it, and it's 30 minutes north of where I I work at the parish. And um, it's about equidistance for my husband, who he travels to work sites all over the state, but usually he's within an hour and a half drive for him. But I can be anywhere in the car for like an hour to hour a day to up to three. So you guys have two cars in the family. Yes. And you need two cars to, to just live the lives that you live. Absolutely. Matt travels quite a bit for work um, and he does construction. So his vehicle is a work vehicle. It He's hard on vehicles too, um, just because he's hauling drywall and tools and all of that. But we definitely, we have to have two, just given his job and where we're at. Um, it's just, it wouldn't be feasible to, to have a one vehicle household. So I notice inflation the most with regard to gas prices, just by virtue of how much I'm driving back and forth to work, 
school for school for the kids and school for myself. You know, the drive to my work and the kids' school, it, like I said earlier, like it works when it works. But if one of the kids gets sick or if they have a doctor's appointment, it doubles the amount of driving I'm doing back and forth. I mean, I easily fill up my gas tank twice a week, sometimes more than that. Um, and when you're looking at gas prices super close to $4 a gallon by us, um, that's almost and close to $1,000 a month on gas. So for me, that was like the biggest sticker shock. Um, but as like as a family too, I mean, food prices, that is something for inflation that has really impacted like our family. I would say we are so ordinary and normal in the sense that I think that most middle-class families would probably resonate with something I'm saying, or at least I hope so. Uh, you know, I think most families and ourselves included, just we want to work hard. We want to have a little bit of fun on the side. So we're not just only working. We want to try and instill values into our kids of you don't need to have a lot of things or spend a lot of money to have a fruitful and full life. But at the same time, there are times when you want to be able to just have a little treat and things like that. But at the same time, how do you then plan for that and budget for that in a way that isn't going to uh, jeopardize, you know, just things that we also really prioritize financially, like sending the kids to Catholic school or, um, you know, living in a, in a house that, you know, is secure and stable in an area that is safe. You know, I think if it was just me several years ago and I was living by myself and I could live within my own means and I, did, I wasn't responsible for dependence, it wouldn't have been a top priority. Um, but now it is, and I, I feel like a lot of families are probably thinking along those same lines too. Okay, one fifty-seven fifty-three. I got groceries for one person. So I got uh, chips, candy, bread. And it used to be five, five dollars and twenty cents. Now it's seven dollars and ten cents. So I'm just looking at the prices for eggs right now. Just came to fill up my gas, and it is three dollars and forty-nine cents a gallon. So that's about two dollars more than it was a year, a year and a half ago. From the cost of gas to electricity to my favorite pretzel snacks, inflation is hammering Americans' pocketbooks in 2022. That report last week was a stunner. I mean, 8.3% inflation. I mean, you've got, you've got the average American paying 13.5% grocery inflation in this country. At a 40-year high, it's no wonder that inflation and the economy are polling as the top voting issues ahead of the midterm elections. Well, Republicans want to be laser focused on the economy and inflation because that is, of course, the biggest vulnerability for Democrats running. We know that midterms are usually a referendum on the party in power. And in this case, the Democrats control everything. So what does Catholic social teaching have to say about inflation at this critical moment? And what moral and economic questions should Catholic voters be asking of the incumbent Democrats and the Republicans looking to shift the balance of power in Congress? From America Media, I'm Sebastian Gomes, and this is Voting Catholic, a podcast about what's at stake in the 2022 midterm elections from the people who know the issues best and bring their faith to the voting booth. In this episode, I'm speaking with Tony Annette, an economist and Gabelli Fellow at Fordham University and the author of Cathonomics, 
how Catholic tradition can create a more just economy. I began my conversation with Tony by asking him how we got to this point. Well, as you said, inflation is the highest it's been in 40 years. It's floating between 8 and 9%. And, you know, at a very simple level, economists often say inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. So let's look at both sides of that. There's too much money and too few goods. Um, some people argue that the American Rescue Plan Act, which is President Biden's uh, fiscal stimulus when he came into office in 2021, and that was in response to the to the COVID pandemic, right? To try to alleviate some of the suffering from that. Yes, uh, it had some very excellent policies, like the child tax credit. It had the fourteen hundred dollar checks to qualifying households. But some economists argue that there was too much stimulus. In a sense, there was too much money delivered. People had too much money, which meant they spent a lot, which means prices rose. Now, that's one reason why inflation is high, but it's actually not the main reason. I think estimates suggest that maybe maybe three percentage points of the current inflation is due to that, but the rest, the five to six percent, is due to the supply side. It's due to the too few goods. And that's because of a number of factors. It's because as we came out of the COVID crisis, a lot of people switched from spending on services because restaurants and hotels were closed and everybody was locked down. So they started buying a lot of goods like furniture and Peloton bikes. And you got into what's called these snarled supply chains. The supply wasn't able to keep up fast enough. So the prices rose and you see like massive rises, for example, in shipping costs, especially in supply chains from Asia. Uh, a second factor on the supply side is the fallout from Putin's war in Ukraine. That has led to spiraling energy prices. It's led to high food prices. And food and energy tend to be concentrated in the baskets of the poor, especially. So that's kind of my bird's eye view as where we are on inflation today. So what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of different factors at play. So is it safe to say that there's no one person or no one politician or no one party that's responsible for getting us here? No, that's right. I think, you know, we're mainly talking about supply side issues. So the real culprit, the real villain here is COVID. There's actually quite limits to what politicians can do to get inflation down. That's why it's really the job of central banks. It's the job of the Federal Reserve. And they do that by raising short-term interest rates to kind of curb demand. There are things that politicians can do. For example, if you have a major fiscal stimulus, like massive tax cuts or something like that, which actually adds fuel to the fire of inflation. How so? And when I hear about tax cuts, I often think about the Republican Party's platform more than the Democrat Party platform. Is that correct? That's probably correct. The Republican Party platform is based heavily on tax cuts, but tax cuts for upper incomes, for the rich. And, you know, they have this trickle-down philosophy which says that if you cut taxes for the rich, then they will create more jobs and the poor will benefit. The problem with that philosophy empirically hasn't panned out. It's been tried many times since the 1980s, and it hasn't actually had the benefits that has been promised. What it does do is contribute to aggregate demand, though. 
This is actually what's happening in Great Britain right now. The new government came in, implemented massive tax cuts, which is really complicating the ability of the Bank of England to curb inflation and is leading to financial problems for the British economy. What about the Democratic Party platform? What did they plan to do? What are they promising to do to try to solve this issue uh, after the midterms? Well, the Democratic Party platform is heavily based on expanding the social safety net. Uh, For example, it didn't pass, but President Biden's American Families Plan um, included things like making the child tax credit more permanent, giving paid parental leave, universal pre-K, things pro-family issues to kind of uh, expand the social safety net. But um, that will not be inflationary because it's supposed to be offset by increased taxes on upper incomes and corporations. So the democratic plans at the moment don't have any inflationary impact. There is a debate as to whether President Biden's student tax relief contribute to inflation because that was not paid for by higher taxes elsewhere. So we're talking about two very different policy approaches to tackling a very complicated issue. Um, Let's look now at what the church actually says about the economy and what principles from the Catholic tradition inform the Catholic approach to economic questions. It's interesting that, you know, when you look at the conversations about policy in, in Catholic circles, I'm always struck by how people's faith leads them to conclude very different things, right? So we have Catholic politicians who are proponents of unrestricted capitalism, you know, trickle-down economic theory, as you mentioned. Um, And then we, at the same time, we have Catholic politicians who are democratic socialists, you know, and everything kind of in between and outside of those two positions as well. So let's just talk basics here. What are the fundamental principles of the Catholic faith that should inform our economic ideas? I think we have to focus on the centrality of the common good over individual self-interest. And there, there are two very basic principles that really inform what policymakers should do from a Catholic perspective. And that's one, the universal destination of goods, which says that the goods of the earth and human labor, in a sense, belong to the whole of humanity. uh, And that while private ownership is valid, Uh, The church does not support collectivism or communism. While private ownership is valid, that must always be subordinated to what Pope John Paul called the social mortgage. So it's what Pope Francis calls a secondary natural right, not a primary natural right. Uh, On a policy perspective, that has a lot of implications. It has impacts on uh, just wages, on redistribution, on how we treat migrants and refugees, On a whole host of issues, the universal destinations of good comes into play. I think there's also a role for business. Business also needs to align its activities with the common good. The Catholic Church has also been very clear about that. It cannot be just about maximizing profits, about maximizing your return to your shareholders. You also have a responsibility to your workers. You have a responsibility to protect the environment you have a responsibility to broader society. And given all these problems we are facing today in our economy, we need all hands on deck. We need the government to play a role, but we also need business to play a role and support the common good. And that's heavily related to a second principle, which is the preferential option for the poor, which from a policy perspective says, 
we need to judge all policies first and foremost for how they affect the least among us. And, you know, with inflation, that's especially important because, as we know, when inflation is being driven by especially high food and high energy costs, that constitutes a large share of the budgets of the poorest people in the country. A big question for a lot of people is about wages. There's a big movement in the United States to increase minimum wage that's been around for a long time. But a living wage, what would be considered a living wage, doesn't go as far in a context when inflation is as high as it is. So from a Catholic perspective, what should we be thinking about when it comes to policy around questions of a living wage, minimum wage, the wages that middle class and lower income class Americans are making? Yes, uh, that's a good question. Um, so a just wage or a living wage is central to Catholic social teaching. Popes have been talking about that since Leo XIII and Rerum Novarum. Um, I would argue in the United States, wages, real wages have been stagnating for about 40 years now. Wages have not kept up with rising productivity. After the Second World War from the 1940s to the 1970s, wages rose with productivity. So you had this immense period of economic growth and workers really benefited. But from the 1980s, things changed. You had soaring corporate profits and stagnating real wages. So that meant that the gains of economic growth went to the owners of capital uh, and corporations rather than workers. And for Catholic social teaching, that would be regarded as an injustice. Now, how to fix that? Obviously, raising the minimum wage is one solution because the federal minimum wage has been stagnating for decades. It's shockingly low. And we in America, we rely so much on an economy which is, has so much suffering from some of the poorest people. They get miserable, poor wages, poor working conditions, little autonomy over how they work, no paid leave, no sick leave. Um, we rely on so much suffering uh, to get cheap stuff, and that's morally wrong, I would argue. Now, Catholic social teaching is actually quite radical here. It goes way beyond raising minimum wages, but it promotes such things as profit-sharing and workplace democracy, that's workers having a share in how companies are managed, as they are in Germany, for example. So yeah, there's a lot that Catholic teaching, Catholic social teaching has to say on wages and uh, justice for workers. So apply that to, to the midterm elections. Obviously, uh, Catholic Americans who are going to be voting are, are voting in very different contexts, right? Very different state situations. Um, so how does this apply? If you're going to take these Catholic principles that we've discussed, the preferential option for the poor, the common good, this concern about employment, connecting the dots between these very complicated matters, um, what should Catholics be looking for in, in the politicians that are on the ballot? I think they should be looking for politicians who have an encompassing view of the common good, who are not wedded to free markets, because Catholic social teaching argues that you know, you have twin rocks of shipwreck, just as kind of collectivism, communism is wrong. So libertarianism or free market ideology also leads to bad outcomes. So politicians that kind of take a sensible middle, um, 
uses the power of the government to cushion people from bad economic effects. So, for example, what policies are being proposed to shelter the poor from continued high inflation? What policies are being proposed to keep unemployment low? We should be very happy with the fact that unemployment is at a 40-year low, and we want to keep that. We don't want to raise unemployment. And how do you plan on expanding or supporting the social safety net to protect the poor from the adverse effects of a free market economy? Can you explain very basically what this connection between unemployment and inflation is? Sure. So when the Federal Reserve fights inflation, it raises interest rates. Rising interest rates will kind of choke off aggregate demand and make it harder for firms to expand and hire workers, and they will lay off a lot of workers. So the risk is if you raise interest rates too much or too quickly, you will lead to rising unemployment. And as I mentioned, some economists have said that getting inflation back down to 2% would lead to 1.5 million people losing their jobs, which would be a human tragedy. So Tony, considering what we've discussed today, what advice would you offer to Catholics who are deeply concerned about inflation, are feeling squeezed in the current economic climate when they're entering the voting booth in November? I think they should realize that inflation and unemployment are two sides of the same coin and to ask what policymakers are proposing not just for inflation but for how it affects unemployment. So that's the first thing. Uh, also, second thing goes back to the preferential option for the poor. First and foremost, what are politicians promising in, in the way that it would affect the poor, not the rich, or actually not even the middle class, but the poor must come first. So those are the questions that I think they should be asking as they go about voting. Tony, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm delighted to be here, Sebastian. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. I want to ask if inflation and the economy more broadly as a voting issue uh, is at the top of your sort of priorities, your, your kind of voting priorities, because we see polls consistently showing that inflation, the economy are the most important issues to the to the majority of Americans. That's a great question, because 
you know, prior to this year, I don't think I would have really considered inflation or the economy overall as one of my top priorities. I think maybe this this year in particular, just because my youngest is nine months old and, um, you know, three kids with that, it definitely has bumped up to, I wouldn't say it's the top priority, but it's definitely up there. And I feel that, you know, there are, indiv- there are individual issues that are important to me as, um, as an individual citizen, but I also don't want to solely focus on issues that only impact me directly. Like I know that I'm part of a larger community. I'm part of the universal church that cares about issues domestically, but also internationally. So that's something that's, it's really hard to weigh because then it opens up this, this bigger can of worms of all of a sudden your, your top priorities include 10 things and how do you weigh all of them? It's really easy to look at a situation that's not good. So inflation is very, very high. A lot of people are concerned about the economy. And we know because of how the economy works that sometimes it's like years and years and years of economic policy in the making that get us to a particular place, right? So when it comes to the actual policy and holding people accountable, are you looking at the people in front of you or are you trying to take a longer view? And how do you balance that? So I definitely am not an economist, and that was one of the classes at school that I definitely struggled with. However, I do know from that is that you do have to play the long game, and you have to look at uh, just years' worth of, of policy. But at the same time, I think that's when, for me, it's really important to look at who's in office, what has their voting record been, because I think it's also... Uh, in today's time, it's really easy to, to listen to sound bites and really not get the full picture of a particular piece of legislation. Once you're able to engage in the process like on a year-round basis, you'll start to connect the dots yourself. And you'll see that no one person has that much power or no one Congress has all the power to change everything overnight, that these policies they take years to implement and they take years to feel the ramifications of them, whether positive or negative. So it is important then to engage in the long game on advocacy from a Catholic perspective. What does it mean to vote Catholic? How would you explain that to somebody? That's a great question. I would say to vote Catholic means that you really do have to ground yourself in prayer and your relationship with Christ. Because when you can actually embody the two great commandments of loving God and loving neighbor, then you'll be able to think of all of these issues from a totally different framework. It's not, why do I care about X issue? Or why do I care about um, this policy? But then it's, why do I care about my neighbor? Why do I care about how these policies impact their lives? And why do I care about how these policies impact my family? Catherine, thanks very much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Next time on Voting Catholic. That day I was having a full day gathering with all the priests of the Archdiocese of San Antonio. I received in my phone that two children were killed 
the school in Uvalde. We're cutting in to bring you some breaking news. There's reports of an active shooter at Robb Elementary in Uvalde. It's a dangerous theological issue to think that we can supply people with a godly like power or strength if they have this kind of weapon. We explore the devastating plague of gun violence in the United States as a key voting issue for Catholics. For complete coverage of the 2022 midterm elections from America Media, visit americamagazine.org. And while you're there, please consider supporting the production of Voting Catholic by getting a digital subscription. Voting Catholic is a production of America Media, a Jesuit ministry. This episode was written and produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Sound design and mixing by Ashley Spillane. With production assistance from Cristobal Spielman, Christopher Parker, and Jillian Rice. Art by Sean Tripoli and Allison Hamilton. Parts of it were recorded in the William J. Loeschert studio at America Media's headquarters in New York City. I'm your host and executive producer, Sebastian Gomes. Thanks for listening.